Hey everyone, welcome back to the Not Only Farmers podcast. Today is episode number 12. Today my conversation is with Mark Angelo Coppola. Mark Angelo is a farmer, storyteller, and entrepreneur. For more than a decade, he has been starting businesses, helping others with marketing and social media growth within their own business, all while building his farm from the ground up. Now as his farm is maturing into an organism able to stand on its own, he's focusing more of his time and energy on keeping the farm running as well as opening up opportunities for others to create their own enterprises on the farm. It's a really cool community-based model that I'm sure we'll see more of in the coming years. This is another great episode of people that are not only farmers doing great things to build better communities. I think you'll really enjoy this one. Now, here's my conversation with Mark Angelo. Yeah, how are things going for you, man? Good, man. I mean, the farm is scaling like never before. I mean, I, I still think I'm a horrible farmer in the sense that I don't, I'm not the greatest at growing uh, for market or anything of that nature, but we're growing a ton of food or eating a ton of food at the farm that is coming from the farm. Um, I mean, we have a ton of egg production. We have our first ever pigs. So that's kind of a whole new thing. Um, lots of bees and, and honey uh, production is going well. And our biggest production is garlic. Yep. Um, so, you know, we're getting our first ever walk-in fridge, so it sounds crazy, but we have, we have run a farm without a walk-in fridge. Um, so we're, we're getting that this weekend and we're going to start installing that. I'm like learning everything about cool bots and stuff like that. So there's, there's like a lot of new things, but we're getting to the point of being, let's say a professional farm. Yeah. Um, and really a lot of it, um, a lot of what we've done so far has been, incredibly successful at building community um and at building kind of the the facilities slowly but surely um and you know i I think i'm happiest with the fact that i just have no debt uh so this is all like scaling at the pace of my ability to afford it right um but and and you know the community's ability to kind of contribute as with membership fees and different things there um but i'm relaunching the podcast soon under the Valhalla movement brand. So kind of taking over the, the old, the initial farm name was called the Valhalla movement. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm planning on launching some online courses on like how to build community that cannot teach farming, but I can definitely teach how to, you know, do entrepreneurship and build community both online and offline. So yeah, lots of like cool stuff happening and really excited about it all. Yeah. Um, and it's going really well. Like I, it's fascinating how many people show up every week. Um, this is an enormous amount of everything happening. And we've got a team. We built like a, a workshop to mm-hmm. build buildings and tiny houses and stuff like that. We have our own mill now. So we're making our own wood, like and chopping up our, our own firewood more. Like, so it's just like we're becoming more and more self-sufficient every, every, every week, every month, every year. Um, Solar panels were basically at net zero uh, during our whole season, so we're producing as much electricity as we're using. So it's like we're, yeah, there's some like real movement on the whole thing. It's it feels great. And that property there, I didn't realize. I first, I mean, visually, I'd always thought it was like, oh, maybe it's like three or four acres or something like that. But then I think I saw somewhere it was like eighty-eight acres. Is that right? We are eighty-eight acres. So I I had no so. 
if you look yep. at the map, is it a long stretch like property? It's a long strip. Yeah. So yeah. The, the way that the properties were done back in like, let's say the Nouveau France, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Or like the, the, when the new world was started is that they basically had waterways and then everywhere, anything that touched a waterway, they made these massively long strips. Interesting. Um, and so, and then there's about half the property is forested. Um, not a super mature forest, but like, it's not like a redwoods or yeah. kind of a West coast forest, but it really more of a, a forest that's been clear cut probably twice in its lifetime. Um, but it's, you know, it's mature enough. Like a, when you walk in it, the, the, the trees are still towering above you, but it's, you know, the, the tree trunks aren't the, the most massive ones. Um, so about half of it's forested. It used to all be GMO or all the rest of it was GMO corn and soya. There's about 12 acres. It's still that, mm-hmm. that we've never touched. Um, and then most of the farm and you're not wrong to think that it was on a couple of acres most of the farming activity happened on about two and a half acre piece yeah. that was where all the permaculture most of every, almost everything we were growing almost everything we were doing is on two and a half acres but now i started i brought last year i brought um road power and water to the north field so there's like a there's like a two and a half acre or there's a five acre piece but it's divided by a stream and then we only built two bridges last year for the first time to get to the back properly we've always had like some pathway bridges but they were never good for vehicles or i don't want to say vehicle but like never good for like a gator or um, a bobcat or anything like that now we have bridges that go across um we put bathrooms back there and now we put chickens and pigs start clearing up because it was all brush uh so this is the first year that that's like gonna get cleared out and and turn into gardens and other things over time um so yeah almost everything was on two and a half acres and then we started expanding now the garlic on the north field. We built um, parking there. Um, we had always have a, had a, like 10 rows of, of market gardening mm-hmm. rows uh, there, 100 foot beds. But now like we took over the entire front par- portion. So like there's a lot now growing there and there's more fruit bushes, berry bushes, that kind of stuff going. We, we dug a pond uh, last week and, and another pond this week. So now there's two ponds on, the, on that side. You know, once you have powered water greenhouses and then like all these basic stuff, I'm going to put a, a walk-in fridge. That north side is going to be real production. So the south side is kind of like community, lifestyle, homestead, you know, focused on for me building a house and having a, you know, a space that uh, myself, but many others who come to the farm will feel comfortable and, and host lots of events. And I would, I would say agritourism yeah. more so and agro-education ag- too being kind of a bridge farm of, of sorts so um and then the north field will will have like proper production yeah well i mean that's going to yeah. be staying true to kind of yourself right i mean because you're it, yeah a, a, you're kind of a bridge i mean you know it's mm-hmm. i've always thought of you as a bridge because you're i was thinking about it the other day because i was like i mean when i first knew about you was you were like mark angelo marketer you know (laughs) you know and and then sure as time has gone on i've seen this like softening just because you've released more of yourself and then also because i think that the farm started to inoculate you a little bit you know and then 100 yeah and then i was like thinking about it the other night i was like laying in bed and i was like why do i why am i drawn to certain types of people you know and like why am i drawn to Mark, you know, and I realized that you're one of the people, the types of humans that I've always been intrigued by. Cause I think I'm in that realm of you're both digital and analog and you're not ju- totally. just going digital. Um, no. And, and, and so I'm like, Oh, that's it. It just like, it just sprung on me, you know? And I was like, 
that's it. It's the cross between the two. Yeah. And it's so rare that you have, everyone is one or the other for the most part. Like almost 95% of people are like, I'm an electrician or a plumber or, or you know, blue collar worker or this or that or farmer or whatever. And then everyone else is like, I work in an office and I haven't lifted a finger in like a decade. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and realistically, there's so few people that go between the two. Um, so those who do, and particularly me, like my story, like d- d- if you would have bet that I would become a farmer, <laughs> you, the, the odds would have been a billion to one, but the, it just, it, it, it almost doesn't make sense. But, but when you really think about like all the things that I'm passionate about, storytelling, community building and all that kind of stuff, the digital world is such a shallow version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've, I mastered a lot of the marketing storytelling things online um and i kind of got tired of it and then i i was like oh what can i do to like have like real world impact and have real community around me and and um for me that shift was the farm is is the best possible thing to do it and i think it's like you mentioned the softening i think the softening for me happens because being a farmer is the most humbling job of all time and being a farm starter uh, having never grown up on a farm, having never apprenticed with a farm, having never like everything is new to me. You know what I mean? Like even figuring out how to get this, <laughs> this walk-in fridge online. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm watching like no-till growers. What are they doing? Okay. What's their washing station? Like what's yep. this person? Like, so I'm, I'm constantly a student in this, in this game. Um, even though I've been at it in the sense for 11 years, but not really like in the sense I, I started the project, I started the brand and the elements of the brand, the podcast, these different components 11 years ago. Um, I started stewarding the land, allowing it to regenerate 11 years ago. But actually being like fully implicated and like financially committed in a, in a whole new way, um, as well as like running it, being the farm operator or manager, that's only been since like 2020. Hmm. So when, th- when you really think about it, this is kind of my third season farming, although I started garlic, maybe this is my fifth, this is our, are going to be our fifth harvest. So, it, you know, it's like garlic kind of got me going in it more. And like that piece of it and some of the different components of that started going. And then, and then once I built the outdoor kitchen and now I built like a little washing station and, you know, and, and, and saw way more people move to the farm and have like more roles at the farm everything kind of grew from there and, and, and it's growing in every way. And that's what I like about it is, is it's, it's not just farming. Cause I, I think, I think I would get tired of that more so, mm-hmm. but if it's entrepreneurship for me and then with the, the, the ultimate honor and challenge of it all, which is uh, also on a farm that that's like, okay, great. Cause now I, I, I get the satisfaction that I got of, of, in the world of marketing. Um, designing a building or designing a washing station. And so I used to do that where I would design a website and I design an experience where somebody goes here and they read this and then they click there and they do this thing. And so my whole life was designing these experiences that people would go down online. And now my whole life is doing the exact same thing, but just in the analog world. And so that satisfies all the different check boxes that I, they're, they're actually quite similar as a far as I'm, marketing manager specifically and then as a farm manager specifically uh there's a lot of components that are similar you know just like when you cut the head of lettuce and if you don't put it in the right if you don't get it out you know into the into the right packaging or into the fridge or into this or that and you don't sell it fast enough well it's the exact same thing as like posting on social media 
and a social media post has like a 48 hour lifespan, 72 hour lifespan. Anyway, so it's not like weirdly there's parallels that I, I, I don't think anybody sees other than now the fact that I've been on both sides of the coin. I'm like, oh yeah, they're actually in- incredibly similar. Oh, it's well, why do you think, I mean, think about like a lot of the yeah. terminology is, is the same, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. super interesting. And it, you know, the other thing oh. that's interesting is that there's you, I, and I don't, I don't know if it's just by chance or what, but think about that. The fact that you bought this piece of land kind of at the beginning of your whole, it was like career, yeah, yeah your whole career. And so, so many <laughs> times you hear stories of people that are in the corporate world for 20 years and then they sure. have this awakening and then they buy a piece of land and then they sure. try to figure out there. Was that, was there a master plan there for you? Or did you just happen to be like, you know, I think I'm going to buy this piece of land and then like, I'll make something work with it someday. Or, I mean, or has it been a slow, steady grind that you're like, I, I have my sight. On no, this I've prize. always, had, I've, I've always had the sight on the prize. So okay. when I bought the land, I knew what I was doing. Um, I didn't wait for the midlife crisis, let's say, or the, or the mm-hmm. corporate crisis, if you want right. to call it that right. to, to say, okay, I'm going to start on this thing. And that's the best decision I ever made. Like yep. <laughs> to, to be like where I am now and still be in my thirties and be like, oh, I like, I, I get it. And I get that. I also don't get it. Um, yeah, <laughs> truly. Yeah. And then it's always a discovery and every year comes with new challenges and, oh, it's a drought now and it's this and it's that. And it's actually a constantly dynamic thing and that the ecosystem itself is, is something I'm working with constantly. Um, not that I'm controlling. I think that's one thing I learned, but I've, I've always had the North star of, I believed, um, I had watched way too many documentaries. I learned where money came from. And then what happened is I, I, my first business was an indoor skate park. And what ended up happening is the banks had promised me a loan to build a lounge. And the lounge was a place where people like me, who at the time I was more of a stoner, could kind of gather. And it wasn't a bar and it wasn't a club, but it just had like all the makings of what now the farm embodies. But the idea was I wanted a place where people could come together and, and, and just do something different, participate in something different, act and, you know, and follow their values, follow their passions, like be celebrated in entrepreneurship and 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 kind of bridge the gap between different age groups and, and different, you know, walks of life and, um, and, uh, social classes and everything, right? Like we can all enjoy a hockey game or a beer or certain things. And, and there were certain things that I found like felt really interesting about building a lounge. Long story short, I try and get a loan. They say, yes. Then, uh, the day I go to sign to get the loan, the financial crisis had basically hit a few days earlier. Mm. And, um, and then they, they're like, oh, you're a 19 year old who wants to like open up a restaurant bar kind of thing. And from their perspective, they're like, yeah, we're not going to give you a loan for this anymore. So I went to every major bank. Nothing was working. I went to every like grant thing, submitted all the, like I tried every angel investor, everything, 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 nothing would give me the money. And for me, what was infuriating is I knew that they were printing the money. I knew that the whole bubble was because they had printed too much money. And all of a sudden when it was my turn to like come into the world, I, I walked into the world in the middle of a financial, like my career starts with a financial crisis. You get what I mean? Like, and so the disadvantage that that puts you on over a lifetime of, of opportunity was big. But then what ended up happening is I kind of, um, I pushed through, I found a way to get all the materials. I like designed the lounge myself, 
and I did, I hired somebody who was like a, a student in AutoCAD and an architecture school to like do it with me. And I just showed it to an architect and be like, okay, I'll pay you for an hour just to like, tell me what I need to change and then go back. Like I just figured it out. I, I entrepreneured my way through the entire process. And the day that I went to kind of go and open the lounge, partners decided, and they had 50% of the company. I'd bailed them out three years earlier. Long story short, I had 50%. They had 50%. They decided they wanted to move the, the skate park. And they wanted to move it to this new area that's right near the farm, ironically, um, called Zistrant. And they wanted to open the, the skate park there. They thought it was the next thing. And they were right. Okay. They were right. The difference is because it was a new kind of strip mall style development type thing, um, they had an anti-competitive clause. And meaning anybody who would open up another, like, let's say there was one steakhouse. They didn't want somebody opening, opening up another steakhouse for a certain amount of years. So, because they wanted to establish the market and like kind of get the strip mall going before kind of creating more competitive dynamics. Long story short, there was a place there called Radio Lounge and it was a club. Okay. But because it was called Radio Lounge and the thing I was creating was called 450 Lounge, which was the area code and lounge. And I, I had already seen it as a franchise. I was like, I, I incorporated two companies. Like I was, I was all in, like this is happening. Right. <laughs> um, they basically, I couldn't move the skate park there. They didn't want to re-sign the lease at the location I was at that I had done all the plans for and it was a perfect location for the lounge. And so it kind of created a, well, it, it has to break one way or the other. They ended up buying me out. I traveled the world, come back, um, realized I wanted to re-engineer the lounge from the ground up quite literally. And I said, I'm going to make a lounge that will, like, no one can stop me. Like nothing, you couldn't, the whole world could collapse or shut down like it did um, through the pandemic. And I can, st and I will still operate. Like I will be online no matter, you can shut the power, you can shut the internet, you can shut everything. I'll have satellite internet, I'll have solar panels. Like you can, none of the suppliers will want to deliver to me. No problem, we'll grow the food. Like I was like, what would it take to hmm. build that lounge from the ground up? And then the lounge itself said, well, Beyond the lounge, the uh, initial idea for the lounge had started with, if I invested in real estate and I bought an apartment building and I just allowed all my friends to move in, what would it look like? Like, what would I, what would the common spaces be? Would it just be like a normal pool and like a little shitty gym or would they like, like, would I take it to the next level? And, and so then that same concept just came back and I was like, well, what if I did this on a farm? What if we just like had homesteads and we grew all our own food. We're all self-empowered. We can make our own power and water and energy um, and, 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 and community in every way, shape, or form, hire people, create jobs, create like all the opportunity we could possibly think of and be a net um, um, uh, uh, exporter and be a net um, energy producer to, to essentially constantly give back in every way, shape, or form. And if we structured it from the seed up, Right, and we planted the right seed. We watered it the right way, just like we, we would with a plant. Well, if we did that same thing and designed a community or a village from scratch, what would that look like? And that's what Valhalla is. Valhalla is the design of a village. I truly, my personal belief is it will actually become its own town. Like I, that is the goal. Like, can I build a community of 150 people? Uh, and then I'll explain why that number. But can I build? A, a farm and a community of 150 people that are fully self-reliant, um, uh, although still connected to the digital world, still connected to the city, still connected to everything without like separating from it. It's just saying like, hey, here's a better way. 
and we're proving it on every level. And um, and so that was my my mission when I I came back, traveled the world, came back with the money I'd, I'd sold the skate park with. I bought the initial portion of the farm. My father bought the rest of it, and he was looking for um, a vine- a space for a vineyard because he had a midlife crisis. Mm. And he was like, he was a lawyer and he still is a lawyer, but he was, he was having a midlife crisis and realized his family had been producing wine for his whole lifetime. And they, he had not been keeping up on the, any of the traditions of his, of his, you know, his, his ancestors. And so he was looking for a place to do wine and doing this other stuff. And he had gone through the process right near the farm of potentially building a giant vineyard with houses on the farm. Um, and everyone was going to participate and like build like a co-op, cooperative style, um, you know, transformation center, vineyard, you know, whole thing. And the government, the city loved it. The city that was, he was asking for this and loved it. He made like a whole site plan. It looked beautiful. It was, it was great. And it was right next to a golf course. They were going to buy a golf course, build a vineyard next to it and build houses and do the whole thing. I thought it was a brilliant idea. And the government of Quebec, the CPTAQ, who also created a lot of problems for me and my project, which was great. Um, many years later, but they, they were like, well, what happens if we build all these houses, we let this happen, the vineyard fails. And now all of these people aren't farmers, um, because it's all dependent on the core business. And now we just made a bunch of people mansions and the farm could fail the next day. And, and I kind of sat there when that happened to my dad and kind of killed the project. I was like, well, what a second, what does it take to be a farmer? And his answer was, well, to get a registered farm number, you need $5,000 of revenue, not even profit, revenue. I was like, okay, (laughs) like anybody could do that. So what if I just like moved $5,000 from here to there and said I made $5,000 revenue? Like there's no, there's no price that an apple could be sold, right? It could, it could be whatever price. So I, that's exactly what I did. I basically took my company, bought something from me, Mark Angelo, the person now farmer and only farmer, the only, far, the only revenue I've ever paid personal taxes on is farming revenue ever in my life. Um, and everything else is, was under a different banner of sorts. Um, but that's not me. I'm Mark Angelo, farmer and my company and what my company does and how critical I am to my company does not matter. Right. But the idea is that kind of sparked this, oh, and then I started asking questions like, what can you build on farmland? And it's like, oh, anything with agricultural use. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. And then all of a sudden, all the restrictions were different. Like in residential areas, you have to build square rectangular buildings. Like you can't build round buildings. You can't build a spaceship. You can't build something cone or pyramid or like you can't do a bunch of stuff. But on a farm, you could basically do any of those things as long as it's farming related. So I was like, oh, this is like the perfect gray zone. And this is the perfect bridge for what the ever expanding city that I knew was going to come in the direction of the farm and now hat totally has and is coming more and more. We're going to be surrounded by city and we're going to be the, the perfect balance between actual farm life, actual lifestyle that is in the modern day era and, and a place for education, a place for education for the kids, a place for growing and fully self-reliant. And so nobody can kind of Nobody can pull the plug. No financial crisis could end me. No debt, no nothing could do that thing. And I'll say nothing with caution because there's always, you yeah, know, maybe sure. there's something. But, um, but I've definitely, I've definitely taken every possible step to be as resilient as possible. And and I think that this is where it's at today. Yeah, 
Yeah. And are, I mean, are you blown away by that or are you just, you had enough confidence in yourself that you, it's not surprising. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm blown away by pieces of it and I'm not so blown away by other pieces of it. Meaning I thought I would have had the house already built the first house that I thought would have changed the entire financial reality of the farm. Because once I have a house, I have something I can leverage and I could take on some amount of debt as a line of credit and slowly but surely kind of leverage my way into more stuff. Because farming, unfortunately, in the modern day era requires money, mm -hmm. like real money mm -hmm. to get going. I, I don't, we don't have a tractor. We didn't have a well. We didn't have shade. We didn't have power. We didn't have everything. Like the fact to, to go from undrained GMO corn soya field flat to what we're trying to build unbelievably challenging and expensive like it's it, it you, people don't like i showed a picture of, of what the farm looked like 11 years ago and there was a in behind me we, you see we put a horse manure that we had found like there was a pile in the back of one of our pieces because there's a horse farm right behind us and then long story short we took a horse manure we put black earth on it which i realize is not the greatest dirt now but anyway and then we put black earth on it and then um and we planted tomatoes and peppers and you know i was like oh farming's easy and then, but you look behind me and it was desert, like a desert, like nothing, not a weed was growing mm. behind me. And this is like June 5th to have nothing growing on a piece of land behind you on June 5th in Canada is absurd. Like today on June 5th, the whole thing is exploded to life. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it's fascinating. So I think that certain things were way harder than I estimated farming soil ability to bring to market the the challenges and the science behind all of this like the the the, the, the amazing technology and ideas around compost teas and the the right balance and the ph of the water and this and that and oh you have to water this much and when the ground hits this temperature you probably should start harvesting and if the if the garlic is getting a little yellow it's probably missing nitrogen like stuff that i would have never i i mean i'm still learning it today like honestly and and every day and every year and every season, I I, I learn a little bit more and a little bit more, and I, I I refine every time, and and then so so certain things were way longer and way harder. What I'm amazed at is how many people think it's cool now, like how how much now, and I think the pandemic supported this quite a bit, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden it's like, and particularly here in Quebec, like you have to understand. In Montreal, in Quebec, curfews, lockdowns, passports. And when I say V passports, right? I mean, they're not using the word, but V passports, like a bunch of stuff that made it's like, wait a second, like all these things that you thought you had, you no longer have, and you have no capacity to do. And then at the farm, we're hosting garlic, uh, uh, garlic harvest parties, dance parties, all that stuff. Why? Because we're doing essential services. So everyone else is shut down. Everyone else has a curfew, but because I'm an essential service worker and everyone who comes to the farm is an essential service worker, uh, now all of a sudden it's okay. So it, it created this, like it, it took the gray zone that I had seen and made it apparent to everyone. Hmm. And, and now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we should like get here. And I think the other thing is I'm, I'm, you know, getting into my mid thirties now and, and. So therefore people around me are also probably getting a little bit older and starting. So now all of a sudden like that, that mindset that you normally have to somebody in like maybe their forties or fifties is now like, I'm seeing it play out around me. 
but I also know that it's irreplicable today. What I was able to do 10, 11, year, 11 years ago and what my money could buy me 11 years ago wouldn't get me nearly as far today. So there's, a, there's this delta of, of things that have occurred, inflation being at one of them, a huge component, like this year, hydropower or, or electricity went up 3% on April 1st. I installed 20 new solar panels that connect to the grid on April 9th uh, that lowered our electricity bill over in the season to net zero, basically. Um, but over the whole, you know, including nights and winter, all that stuff, I, I estimate about 50%. If everyone else's bills are going 3%, 3%, 3% compounding, and it's basically a hockey stick, because it's not 3%, it's 3% over last year's 3% and, and the year before and the year before and all that kind of stuff. And our bills are going down. My food costs for the calories I eat are going down. Everyone else's are going up steeply. Well, now all of a sudden, the delta of of wealth um, and and wealth storing is shifting dramatically. And so, the thing that I'm I'm amazed by is how much goodwill you could farm. How much a farm can generate an enormous amount of goodwill. How much people are so amazed by like the taste of the eggs and the the taste of the of the tomato or the fact that we do wood fired oven pizza. And they're like, oh my God, this is my dream. I, I wish I could just come outside and make pizza. But I was like, it's not like it's not that much money, like to build a wood fire thing. But it's not a, it's not about the money. They don't have the space. They're not in the culture. And and it's all of those things combined. It's the wood fire pizza, but the fact that there's 40 people who showed up unannounced on a Saturday and they're and they're like mingling, men and women mingling together and, and having a good time and learning about a bunch of stuff and and then they're seeing like, oh, that's a strawberry plant. And they're like, yeah, like, or, or, you know, you tell people information like, you know, hey, a pineapple takes about like 18 months to two years to grow and it grows one single pineapple. And they're like, oh, okay, we don't grow pineapples here, but wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I, I just think that people, this, you know, and not to play kind of rural versus uh, urban kind of dynamics, but I'm a city and or suburban kid. Okay, that's a, that's where I grew up, so I knew nothing about what, how the world of rural America or North America worked, and I knew nothing about the community that was found there. I knew nothing about the fact that many farmers have neighbors and other people, and they trade all the time, and they come by and they stop, they just like drive by and they they wave out the, out at the door and they stop by. Like I had never experienced that ever in my life. I grew up on a street where I basically didn't know my neighbors. So to, I think that's what our farm being so close to the city is just far enough that it like, it is rural, but it's so close that everyone at the end of the day goes back home. They can, they can stop in, they can, they can drive for, it's no further in some ways than driving to another farmer's market to get their local produce or the local whatever. So it's, it's, it's we're in the perfect range and and that's the one thing I, that thing i did know mm -hmm. that this real estate would be worth significantly more i knew that farming would be more significantly more and I, there was always five things that i thought were going to disrupt everything it was physically there's a couple things related to the real estate of where it is in montreal um carbon tax credits was another thing that i knew was going to be a game changer and i still believe that is still playing out I'm, I'm still ahead of that game um and many farmers are and or will be or could be um, not 
um, industrial ag farm necessarily, but but other regenerative farmers can be. And then um, I thought the the legalization of weed, which had not yet happened at the time, uh, was going to be a game changer. There was like a few outs or, or big home run grand slam style swings that I knew would make everything work. Um, and real estate uh, and homesteading was the other. And, and so many of those things are, all of them are basically coming to the pass. Some were less impactful than I thought, legalization of weed as an example, but everything else is actually way more impactful than I thought in some ways. So it's, it, it was, I definitely always had the entrepreneurial mind. It wasn't like luck in that way, but it was, but everything that's happened and the amount of people who have supported me, that is a, a fortune and a rich, uh, a, a, a rich um, experience and and uh, a form of wealth that I had never anticipated, uh, uh, not nearly as as powerfully as it as it really is. Yeah, and now, and now you're. I'm just hearing you talk about this too, and it's kind of like it, it is the physical manifestation of all of the all of the social posts that you've been a part of over the years, right? I mean, for 100%. years, right? You you're always conjuring up what emotion you want to get from your customer base. I mean, and, and I'm not saying just you, but like clients that you've worked oh, yeah. for over the years. And totally. now you're actually, it, this is the real deal, you know, as far as the result of like, you're creating, you're creating a living, breathing Instagram post of sorts and people are coming and walking into it and going, Oh, this is way better than Instagram. That has to be a trip, man. Quite literally. Yeah. It, it is such an amazing experience and i realized the things that go viral on instagram like I, I always say if i had to open up a restaurant i'd have to have something a few items on the menu that are instagram worthy meaning there has to be the thing that people take pictures of that then make the marketing of the restaurant constantly function through self-propelling uh, just a self-generating yeah and it's almost like a regenerative way of thinking mm -hmm. well, the exact same thing is now playing out on the farm and i'm i understand that it has to be pinterest or instagram worthy Meaning we can't just build a washing station. It has to look awesome. Like it has to, it has to be the type of thing that somebody's like, whoa, washing station. Like, whoa, so cool. I wish I had this. Like yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a place like a glorified dish pit and, 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 you know, dirt washing, you know, washing dirt off carrots kind of thing. But the, but, but the fact that it, that every detail has to be amazing is what I gain from the world of web the world of of digital, the world of marketing and all those things. And remember, I like, look, I, I've done marketing, but I wasn't doing marketing for Exxon. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like I was doing marketing for, I was working with like people like sustainable human and high existence and collective evolution. I was working with brands and, and people and pages that were always talking about freedom and censorship and challenges and personal growth, um, self-development bettering yourself uh, i did i did marketing for um ayahuasca retreat centers in costa rica i've done you know business plans and and marketing for all kinds of projects and eco villages all over the world so you know many of the clients and the people that i've worked with were always related to to the movement that i think valhalla inherently embodies but the the um, the farm like you said is like they walk into the image and then they realize that what is actually happening there and the connections and the vibe and the feeling literally cannot be captured on Instagram. And I think that that same experience happens everywhere else, but in reverse. 
So a lot of people have phenomenal Instagrams, phenomenal things, but then they walk in and you're like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, and some places live up to it, of, of sure. course, but, but there's lots of people who are like all hype, very little, you know, very little like delivery. I actually am like horrible at the marketing of our farm, in my opinion. And only now am I like kind of starting to get there. And honestly, it, 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 it's a sour point for me because it's like, I'm like the shoemaker who has horrible shoes kind of thing um, to me from my perspective. But from everyone else's perspective, it's like, this is amazing. And so the farm is kind of getting to a point now. And really last year was the first real time I was like, I am really proud of this place. Like, I'm really proud of what I built. So as much as I think I've accomplished, I only feel like that's starting to get to, to me today. Um, and it took, you know, 10 years for me to get there, but. That now I now I think it it's true. Well, and I think that that time frame is, uh, I think it's a really good thing that it's taken that long because so many. Mm-hmm. I think it, having been in the farmer community for twenty plus years and interacted with a lot of salty farmers over the years. I mean, I and they're my favorite people in the world because they tell mm-hmm. it like it is. But there is this, there is this. Um, frustration by a lot of them for people that just come in and just throw a million dollars at something. And then all of a sudden you have this turnkey, perfectly regenerative, everything. Sure. Exactly. You know, and those are the people that you, you, your frustrations make you want to just go and grab them, throw them off a bridge, you know? And I get it. And, and I think that there's some real (laughs) value to the fact that you've showed, you've shown the buildup along the way. And it's not, I don't, I think that you've done a really accurate job of portraying the reality of what's going on. You know, like, I I mean, anytime that you've shown the people that are there and then you, you can see the roughness around the edges because you're just letting it happen, you know, and that for somebody that's been in such a world of, of needed control, because you've had to control the narrative, you know, of so many things that you've worked around for so long. I think you've done a really good job of just letting it flow, you know, and that's, that's pretty commendable, honestly. Um, cause it, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, it's if important. anything, I've been a little bit self-censoring because there's certain elements that I was worried about that did come to pass that they were going to try and shut me down and try and say I'm not a farmer and try and define what farming is or isn't and try and say that our, you know, tiny house buses aren't mobile homes, but we're allowed mobile homes, but we're not allowed tiny house bus mobile homes. And and then I find the definition at the government. I'm like, okay, well, let's define mobile home right. and then bank. And so it's all the things that have made me me that like, and, and a lot of this is my father being a lawyer and help the way he he forced me to always have to argue my point and defend everything I say. And everything has to be everything I do has to have a way that I can defend it. Every time I built the road, they're like, no, you weren't allowed to build a road. I'm like, actually, here's how I got that road. And here's how then like every I'm constantly on defense mode. But that's kind of what farming is, too. Oh, yeah. Farming is. We're going to plant it here, but we have no idea. It might be a drought, so we have to get to make sure that we're going to have the hoses. We have to make sure we have, like, like that's it. I learned it through the natural process of, of growing up with the ecosystem. So I, me, 11 years ago in that field that had nothing growing behind me, who had all the arrogance in the world of saying, we're just going to put some horse manure here in black earth and plant some stuff. It'll be perfect. 
no shade, no tools, no water, no, <laughs> no power. I mean, to, to try to start a farm <laughs> with none of those things is perfectly insane. And that's exactly what I need. I needed to be that perfect amount of naive to have started mm-hmm. and to now get to the point where I realize, oh, if I had to start it all over again, I, I don't know if I would. But now that I am, now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, well, there's nothing else I could do in the world. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, I need to give more to this. I, how do I make it grow even better and faster, but not faster in a way that I'm like, let me throw all my Instagram power, my my, my ideas of branding and all these things. It's like, no, let me do it as organically as possible. Yep. One step at a time, like one small little thing. And I've learned so much from farmers like you. Like, it's insane. Like, truly, it, it's amazing how much I learned just from osmosis. Because it's the other thing is like, I have no exposure to farms. The only farmer around me farms 3,300 acres of corn and soya. So I've never walked, like one of your, when I walked at your farm, it was one of the first farms I've ever literally walked into and, and saw the insides of. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is a machine and it works like this. And the, the carrots come in this way. And, and like, you know, like I, had ne- I really was under, shockingly underexposed to what it really took to do these things. Um, but I found the the right mentors and the right people along the way. And I also, because I had never grown up in the, dar- the dogma and I had never actually officially had like a specific mentor, I always, I was never jaded. I was never the salty farmer. I was never jaded by like, oh no, we can't do this. And it's like, no, no, we can. We can, we can change everything about this. Like yep. n- none of these rules apply in this way, but I have to know the rules to know where the gray zones are, to know where all the things get to play and change and shift and be the actual disruptor, to be the actual bridge between the analog and the digital, to be the actual bridge between the rural, suburban, and the and 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 the uh, and the city and the urban. So the the idea of I I it's like I was the it was the perfect I, I it was the perfect seed that entered the perfect ecosystem at the perfect time. And and you know that's luck. <laughs> that's yeah lots of things that you could call it um you know i think i think it was, again there was some elements of it were not an accident but many things uh that i discovered along the way only come with the hero's journey that does take a decade and realistically it will take a lifetime it will take generations but the and i'm aware of that um and so and then the other thing is because i know how hard it is now and because i understand the culture of entrepreneurship my whole job, because I don't have, I don't have kids. Uh, my whole job is to like hand this to somebody else. Like, how do I support their farms and their operations and their components? Um, and so I've kind of become like a, almost like an angel investor. Hmm. And so I, I bring the world of entrepreneurship back to the world of farming. And like the way these two things dance together is like a, a unique skill set um, that I just, I wish everyone had. Like, I just wish more and more people can have this. So. It is, it's, you know, the biggest honor for me to, to be a farmer. I think it's like the most humbling job, like I said, and, and, um, it's also so unbelievably rewarding compared to anything else I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you say angel investing, are you talking about angel investing into people that are doing new enterprises based out of the farm? Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as an example, it's like, how do I, you know, somebody comes up to me and they say, Hey, I really want to get into farming and a bunch of stuff. I'm really interested in like chickens. I'm like, great. So how about you be the chicken person and 
I'll help you. You you have the land. You don't have to pay any any fees or anything. The only thing you have to pay is a membership fee, which at the time is sixty bucks a month, um, and that gives you all these other benefits. But you have access to all our tools. You have access to power. You have access to water. You have access to all these everything you would need to possibly start up your chicken operation. And I'll buy a hundred percent of what you produce. Everything you produce, I'll buy a hundred percent. But I don't have to buy a hundred percent if you would rather sell it somewhere else off the farm. Totally okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is no there. You couldn't get a better deal as a farmer, other than if I was like the government. I was like, here's fifty thousand dollars startup, right? <laughs> and which the government can do, and I'm going to help people do that too. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I mean? Like so. So I'm I'm essentially. And I, I've never gotten a government grant for the farm or any, any, the only benefit I've ever gotten is just land taxes are less because I'm a registered farm and farmer. Right. It's the only, the only handout, not even that I've ever gotten from the farm, but, but I'm going to help others do it. I'm going to help others get their startup grants and their this and their that and the, all the different components. So my, my goal is how do I, how do I create the conditions just like a, a greenhouse for the perfect seed to start and turn into the perfect seedling to turn into the perfect plant that then eventually gets hardened off, but in a way that's safe. Like you put the plant outside, you let it, you know, feel the wind and the rain a little bit, and then you pull it back in just to keep it safe. Like it's that exact mentality that you would have with a plant that's grown in a greenhouse that's meant to go outside is exactly what I'm, I believe I have to do for entrepreneurs in the farming space, but not only farming space, community building space, event space, agritourism space, because all of those are combined. Yep. I, I value the photographer on the farm as much as I value the person who's taking care of the chickens and the person who's doing the accounting for the farm, because all of these things are in part of a farm. And I keep bringing up this question in my own podcast, where does a farm start and where does it end? Where does me, Marcangelo, start being a farmer and not be a farmer? Well, in the eyes of the law, every time I'm doing agritourism, I'm doing tours, I'm doing farm table dinners, that is not farming. But if I'm exposing people to my farm and to the products of my farm, and I'm letting them know what Jerusalem artichoke is, and I'm, I'm teaching them about fruits and vegetables and things that they've never seen before, is that not part of farming? Like I'm literally building the market. If I'm marketing for my farm and I'm working on my website, not farming. But if that's my way to get to the market, and that my market just so happens to be digital too, where does that start and end? And, and so inherently the world of farming unfortunately is kind of stuck in the past yep and you know the average farmer in quebec is 54 years old the number of farmers under the age of 35 has halved in the last 20 years in in quebec so there's a crisis happening 8.2 percent of farmers in quebec have a succession plan if the average is 54 and 8.2 percent of them have a succession plan aka 97 percent of them 98 percent of them um, or sorry, 92%, 91% of them don't have a succession plan, then who, who's going to do this? And, you know, I even went to my, I went to my grandmother's hundredth birthday this, this, uh, Sunday. Oh, she turned a hundred years old. And I truly believe it's because she still gardens and she's always gardened and she's always eaten good, nutritious food. Like that's part of it. And, and it's that with community and, and, uh, mobility, like constantly in motion, constantly yep. farming or in her case, gardening, but but the idea of always in motion, always doing those things, that's what led her to be 100, in my opinion. Now, that being said, I'm the only person in a room full of people who is actually upholding elements of the traditions that my grandmother is doing. I would add to that 
that my father as well, because of the vineyards that he now has in Vermont and uh, now in, in Italy and stuff too, he's participating in that as well. He did it more from the perspective of like, here's money and, 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 and like kind of what you were talking about. Um, I'm doing it really from the ground up with like eating humble pie the whole, the whole way. That whole component, I, I think it gives me a real perspective. Like I have something to say about this and I, and what I have to say is not that I think I have a better way. What I have to say is that I just believe that maybe more people would gain a lot of value from this. Um, and that there's a, there's a real like secret to life and, and, um, health and wellness, uh, that isn't found in a pill or, 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 you know, I don't know. I just like the pharmacy is the farm for me. Yeah. That's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. And the big question off of that, dude, I've come, I completely resonate with everything you're saying. Cause I mean, it's, it's this, there's so many of us that got into the, movement of doing what we're doing um for the very reasons that you're talking about and saw crystal clear at and at different times too you know i mean like my mm -hmm. my clarity came in the late 90s you know like uh, uh sure it, so we're talking generational differences here but we've all been up to the same thing here for a while and now the real mm -hmm. question is because it seems like people are We've gained a momentum. We've lost momentum in certain respects because we saw the local foods movement kind of rise and then taper off a bit because of trends, right? But now yeah. we're at this point where there's a certain there's a certain power to our disposal that we haven't had before, which I believe it is. I, I think it's the internet. I really do. Um, and so my mm -hmm. question that I always have for people is then how do we take these seeded ideas of like what you're working on, what I've been working on um, and what so many other people have been working on and like, how do we gain that? How do we gain that tipping point? You know, is there a tipping point or do we just, are we just satisfied with doing the best we can? And then generationally, maybe there'll be, you know, <laughs> a, a, maybe, a yeah. shift. I, I don't know. It's just one of those, I'm to the point. Yeah. I'm to the point when I'm brainstorming these wild ideas, and people that listen to my podcast probably have heard this many times now. But I, I'm definitely using the word robots a lot more because I'm like, it worked for Luke Skywalker's aunt and uncle. You know, I mean, they it was oh sure them and Luke running with a bunch of robots. You know, farming water. You know, like maybe that's where it's at for us in the future to gain. Like, can we have a have a more? And I hate all the buzzwords but it is what it is um you know can we have a more sustainable or ecological or regenerative future with the use of technology you know like that's my question i i don't know those are i i, I mean i think the answer is yes i think to say no to that is to ignore the, all the innovations of what made farming be where it is today and also what made society be where it is today i mean look it used to be that 90 percent of people were involved in the food that they had to eat it now is one or two percent of people, um, and that's you know, and that's like saying a lot uh, about what has happened and transpired in our ability to um, kind of bend nature. I don't want to say master nature. I don't want to say conquer nature, uh, uh, but I would say bend nature to a certain degree. Now, what that happened though is that that time the soil fertility allowed for those things, and then some amount of technology innovation, some good, some bad 
um, made this work. Uh, do I think tractors are, are cool? Yeah, they're great. Like, do I think that having a, like a little temperature sensor in a greenhouse that would let you know, hey, the greenhouse is too hot and uh, automatically open the vents and turn on the fan? Like, do I think that that's super helpful and not necessarily encroaching or some, you know, some Terminator like technology? No, I, I think that's awesome. You know what I mean? So there are certain things that can make life easier and life being easier allows us to have more like the, the journey. I think there's like the the idea of being a farmer. Many salty farmers will kind of have this like, well, back in my day. And that's kind of an old young generation thing. But but back in your parents day, they didn't have tractors either. OK, nobody was doing giant GMO cornfields and soy fields back in their day either. You know what I mean? So it's like we've all innovated and seed selection is a form of GMO. Every everything is a form of technology that exists today. And so, so to to ignore that and to say even the pipes that you have in the ground that bring the water from the pond to the thing, like all of this is technology, and all of it is somehow birthing the new world. Right, the new world being it's being birthed every day. It's an ecosystem that is in constant flux, just like the ecosystem that is at my farm and your farm and everyone else's farm. So. To ignore the change would be, and to fight the change is futile, in my opinion. So how how can I adapt? Is the thought how can I adapt to the different things and take what I like and leave what I don't, and realize that my farm is not the solution for everyone, is not the solution, and it's not necessarily the community for everyone. It's not necessarily the type of people for everyone. We might have liberal and or conservative ideas, and I think we're a mix of all of those things. Um, that people may or may not agree with. We might be this or that, that somebody may or may not agree with. And it, and I don't care. I don't care what other people think because I'm building the community for 150 people, not for 150 million. Um, and even if I were trying to build it for 150 million, that's still not 8 billion. So the, the idea of the use of technology and whether I think that tipping point is here or not, I believe that there's no point to it like there's no there's no specific moment where all of a sudden everyone gets it and the world goes in that direction i think that there i think there are large-scale events or p things that happen culturally that change the times and change the vibe and the entire um direction and path that we are on and one of those things that we just so happen to be living now is ai and if I had to say it myself, I think we were here to birth AI. I think that ev the next evolution of mankind or humankind is AI. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Well, I don't think it's a great thing for a lot of people and a lot of things. Um, and it can have massive consequences. And what we need is a partnership between humans and technology that has the, the, the heart of a human, but the, the computing power of a computer to essentially make life easier and better and more pleasant for everyone. Now, what does easier and better and pleasant mean? Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, Kim Jong-il would have said, hey, give me all your land and all your stuff and I'll give you free schooling and free whatever. And in today in America, we want free college and we want free healthcare. And we want all these things. Man, that's what led to North Korea. That's what led to China. That's what led to all these different things. So do I want that? Well, not really. I don't want a world where everything is given to me for free. And I also don't want a world where everything I need to get is also given to me through enslavement.
And so I believe that we are in some level of fight or, or, or we're always in a fight in that. And the tipping point that I experience is that everything in life is 5149. Mm. You are the only thing that's shifting is the 2% one yeah. way or the other. And if you look at every American election, 5149, 5149, 5149, every, so the whole world operates on this delicate balance and everything about the ecosystem is one step away. Like sometimes all my plants on the farm are a few degrees away from total death, but it never seems to happen because the ecosystem is all, is so perfectly mm -hmm. naturally evolving <laughs> and designed. Yeah. Moderate and design and, mm -hmm. and, and, and ever shifting that everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. including, in my opinion, all the devastation that will happen due to um, cl climactic factors, all the political devastations. Like, there's so many reasons why things are going to fail, okay? Uh, uh, biologically, politically, socially, financially, um, lots of different things are going to fail. But if anything, if we've learned anything about life, not human life just specifically, but life, is that it's unbelievably resilient. And... And that's, you know, so I believe that everything is going to be okay. I'm not, I'm not obsessed with the tipping point that I used to be with. I, re I really was there. I'm like, everyone's changing. The world is going to go. Everyone's going to get it. And I'm kind of like, I'm just like kind of over that idea. Um, but I'm not over trying. I'm not over hope. Yeah. Meaning I still hope it happens. But I'm not married to the to the to the destination. I'm in love with the process. Yep. And so, and that I can thank the farming too. It's like so many people think that the the beauty of farming is is oh I got the tomato that I got to eat or whatever. It's like no, it's the whole thing. I love the whole thing. I really love every piece of it, um, including the suffering of it. Because there's nothing better than having gone through garlic harvest. And been like, I don't know how we did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know how we got it out of the ground at forty degrees Celsius, but we did. It was it was it was a scorcher. We figured it out, and we did it in the same amount of time it took us to do last year, half the with half the so every year I I'm I love I'm in love with the process and the and the progress of it, and um and that's kind of what's keeping me ticking and going and and flowing. But I think that we have to we have to embrace technology. We definitely need to embrace technology in a scenario where Avatar was 54 in Quebec, no succession plan. So we're going to have to embrace something. I think so. Um, mm -hmm. Now, who who is going to be in charge of some of these things? Well, I, I think we have to celebrate more entrepreneurship. I think we need to remove a little bit of the red tape around um, farming, farmland. Um, and I think we kind of need entrepreneurs to experiment. And some of those experiments will go wrong. Yeah. And, and, but there's, it's the only way. Um, cause otherwise technology is going to do it anyway. They're going to be like, oh, we, we measured the temperature sensors and it turns out we should just clear cut this forest. Cause they're like, they made the decision and all of a sudden a bunch of robots are going to show up and do it. Like that probably is going to be part of our future. I would assume so. You know, I can, mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, like, you know, we had the forest fires are here in Canada and in Quebec specifically that, that kind of created all these clouds all over New York as an example. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, man, they're going to start having policies where they're going to start gritting off the forest so that one part of the forest can't burn into the other part. Like they're going to they're going to find a way and a reason for doing this. And that will be done with machines. You know what I mean? It will, it, it will be done by humans controlling machines for now. But in the future, that won't be the case. So 
it'll be done by algorithms that made a decision that calculated that the risk of a fire is very high based on the current patterns of weather patterns and prediction of future weather patterns, like all of those things. Now, what's crazy is that we'll never know because our predictive nature or the predictive idea of of technology will always kind of shift the actual occurrence of of reality um so we'll never know but we can't but that's but just like in farming every once in a while i lose a crop every once in a while i did this one bed just didn't work and the only thing that i can do is keep flowing and say okay i learned from you know do it again next year do it different or that one this row sucked but this one didn't and you know, so if I think about my garlic this year, we we used a bobcat. We we tried to put it in like um, a, a, a soil kind of compost soil, mm -hmm. and we tried to like do it quickly by using a bobcat to spread it all over. But I kind of created more compaction, and I brought up a lot of clay. And so all my beds that were perfectly made by hand the year before, but I needed, I wanted to do it faster. I didn't need to do it faster, but I wanted to do it faster. Uh, this time led to lots of little divots in some of the rows, and that's where water pooled. And mm. for garlic, that's death. And so. I learned, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think whatever the solution is and whatever the tipping point is and whatever the use of technology is, technology helped me, but it also hindered me. And it requires some level of level-headed human thought to rationalize, in my opinion, and emotionally process also, okay, that why did this work and why did it not? And, and what, what did I gain and what did I lose? And how, how can I make the judgment call that I don't think AI will ever be able to make at the same level as a human can? Yep. Yeah. There's, there's some job security for at least the foreseeable future, oh. you know? Oh, totally. <laughs> I'll die and AI won't, still won't replace many, 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 many jobs. And what it does replace, it will just shift into other things. I don't think we should have a bunch of people sitting in office, tall office buildings doing accounting and updating, you know, Right. records of corporations every year like we we can go away we could do away with so much stuff by digitizing a lot of stuff and that's going to be scary it will be more encroaching mm -hmm. we will have less privacy in some capacity and, but yeah i'm intrigued you know, I, I, but I, I think I, exactly I, the way i see it is like that's great i don't want somebody to have to live a shitty life yeah. behind a desk staring at excel all the time like you know what i mean yeah like, I, I get it i love excel too i love the computers too but i wish I do wish that robotics and technology and, and things do liberate us to do other things. I, I'm honestly surprised there are several things that happen, especially around the world of farm record keeping and stuff. I'm surprised that the technology isn't more advanced than it is at this point. Um, and I know that that's based on return, you know, because it's like if you're if you're trying to create software for uh, a group of people that are you know, less than 1% of the population, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot. It's, it's different than if you're trying to put money into something that's going to be, you but know, we're one crisis away from all of that changing the, the, the whole Russia, Ukraine thing, no, pol no politics in this. Oh yeah. Creates a, a, a big problem for the world of wheat mm -hmm. and the world of, and, and, and also because of sanctions, the world of fertilizers. Yep. The phosphorus so, thing fought mm -hmm. the whole thing around all of this stuff. So, so now all of a sudden, farms and farm food is going to rise again like all we're talking about far you know inflation being sticky yeah i'll tell you why it's, it has nothing to do just with printing money it, it, that was the biggest reason of course 
but now it's going to come to global politics and there's a million things that are happening that are making all of these things happen. But food prices are going to continue to rise mm-hmm. big time, mm-hmm. more than normal inflation for a long time. And now as people retire and there's nobody to do the successions again and nobody how knows how to do it. And even if they did, it'll take them a decade like it took me to figure it out. And even then I'm still figuring it out. So it's like all all of that is going to make a reality play out. And one crisis like that, one food shortage, one famine in North America or in Europe or in, in, in one crisis like that will change an enormous amount. So we got... Uh, really lucky that Europe had a very mild winter. We got really lucky that California got the wettest year on record. We got really lucky that the, that the, the Colorado is getting a ton of snow and rain as well mm-hmm. for the Colorado uh, River. So there's a lot of things that are going like really, really, really right right now. <laughs> but, 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 but it won't forever. Statistically, that won't happen forever. And, and we will see mass exoduses out of certain areas of the world. We will see mass problems and collapses of ecosystems in certain areas. We will see, and I don't know that that's a climate change thing or a this thing or a that thing. It's a, it, it's it's all of the things that you cannot blame one component of the ecosystem for why the ecosystem fails. Now, in some cases, it's, it's bloody obvious, right? Like you have a field, you pour gasoline on top of a plant. Yes, that's the one reason it failed. But in, in but in, in I think in, in a complex world like we live in, um, there's not always one specific thing. You cannot point it to just Biden or just Trump or just this or just that. It is it is all of those things, and it is way more nuanced than that. Um, and I also think that the other thing is that um, change is massively resisted by the current um, old generation. And I say that, and that's always been true, meaning it's not the baby boomers' fault, although they're the current oppressors of change. Um it has always been the case. And so it need what we need is that the farms to have no succession to then have a new generation and a new mass problem and a new mass opportunity to come in. And now entrepreneurs and with technology and without technology will solve that problem because the value and like you said, the economics of it will be worth it. And so now for the first time ever, food economics are becoming worth it. And there's more people who want to go and source directly to a farmer. For almost, I would say 99% of my friends, none of them know a single farmer. And the only farmer they know is me. And so it's such a funny thing, but like that empowers me in such a powerful way because if only 1% of us, one out of 100 of us is a farmer, but every one of them, 100% of them eat, there's going to be a huge power dynamic and shift. So I I think farmers are going to be um, the heads of many political movements. Um, I think people, they're going to become the next mayors of towns and, and cities. They're going to, they're going to be a, a very important population that will have an outweigh, out, um, overweighted impact on society, um, in the future. I, I, I truly believe that. And so will tech, so will a couple other things, but farming farmers and farmers and uh, farms are going to have a big, a big impact. In Montreal, where does most of the food uh, come from like where is it sourced is there are there california so it really oh wow california. interesting yeah i think i think it's a quarter of of canada's food but even montreal specifically comes from california and then an enormous amount comes from mexico um and then you know all the things that are are like uh, pineapples or mangoes or whatever thing come from a multitude of different places um but an enormous amount of food comes from california and you guys have what like a 
six to seven month growing season, like frost free or we have about a, yeah. I mean, if we're frost, if you want to talk frost free, it's, I'd say six months at best. Um, if you have greenhouses and certain things and whatever, you can definitely have a seven month season. I would say a seven month season proper. Um, you could extend into other things that would make it longer and you could technically farm year round. Although I don't know that the, 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 the lemon is worth the squeeze at that point, the lemon juice is worth the squeeze on, and on that. Um, but, um, we are incredibly rich in all the, fer- the most important fertilizers in the world. We have the most fresh water in the world. We have an enormous amount of land. We have less people than the state of California and all of Canada. Um, we will have mass immigration to Canada. So Canada and if climate change in the world is warming, well, we will benefit from that of sorts. Um, we are a region that is expected to get wetter, not drier. Um, there's an enormous amount of things that are going for particularly Montreal, but also in the Montreal area, but just in Canada in general that um, are incredibly supportive of why I think farming specifically right where we are farming is going to be incredibly impactful. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, to be at the, at the kind of the fleeting edge of that and to know that in 20 years or 30 years, uh, people are going to start to realize what I realized 11 years ago and realize here today. Um, sure. You know, I, I hope that more people do realize it. It feels in my life like they are. Um, and it takes big world-changing events, a 9-11, a pandemic, uh, a food shortage, crisis, a war, um, whether justified or not, whether they're the right things or not, whether the right path or not. I'm not here to argue or change any of those things. I, I have my opinions, of course, uh, on a lot of things that have has transpired and a lot of things that are transpiring today. But the, um, but I do, I do think that we will find a way. I do think we, I have hope. Um, I do think that there is some level of tipping points that happen in those moments, but I'm rather than focusing on when they happen or like what the moment is going to be, I'm just focused on being prepared for it as much as possible and prepared for, for me, doesn't look like guns and bunkers. It looks like smiles and handshakes and being, it looks like generosity. And carrots. It's the exact opposite strategy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the exact opposite strategy. I believe we're safer through generosity than I'll ever be with bullets. Yeah. Um, or, or bunkers. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. I agree. So from a practical standpoint, um, if are the people that are coming to your farm looking for an incubator kind of situation, is that, is that just organically happening? Are people hunting the farm out now? Are you marketing yourself as like, Hey, if you want to start something, come here, you know, like, are, are you to that point or is that the direction you're going? I, I'm actually not at that point. It's just naturally organically happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that through the power of my ability to do good marketing, mm-hmm. um, and what good marketing to me means, Hey, do you want a free coffee? I'll give you a free coffee. If you just give us a Google review, you've been here a few times, give us an honest Google review. I'm not asking you to give me five stars or anything like that. Just, just leave it. Leave me a review. I'll give you free coffee. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think every restaurant should give away a free drink and do the exact same thing. So through that, we have a lot of people find us in Google. We're very close or so very convenient for a lot of people to visit. Um, and then uh, we just make decent content here and there. Not as much as I know I can and will, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, over time. Um, it is naturally occurring. But I think the most important thing that I've ever discovered um, 
is that I, I understood, I, I kind of fell again, ass backwards into um, this, which is when I decided that I was going to run the farm or I was going to show up at the farm every Saturday. So that started in 2015 for me. Mm. Every Saturday, I'm going to go to the farm and I'm, and I'm just going to do whatever it needs me to do. And I'm going to move it forward one step at a time. And just like churches on every Sunday and community can be found in church, particularly back in the day, but even still today, um, you know, today's churches could be Game of Thrones that was every Sunday night. And it could also be a hockey game or an NFL game or this thing, whatever your community is, um, it has a cadence. And because we kind of opened up Fridays and Saturdays at, a, at the farm starting in 2020, every Friday, every Saturday, it was the perfect amount of collisions, what I call collisions, meaning um, Tony Shea, the, the CEO of Zappos, who, who passed away, but he was kind of, he, he, he revitalized Las Vegas, the downtown, the old downtown Las Vegas. And he wrote a book about this. Um, one of the books was called Delivering Happiness, but there was another portion of the book, or anyways, about building, how he was trying to experiment doing this. And his whole thing was you needed enough density to have enough collisions. And collisions meant that people would meet one another at a particular spot. And, and particular spaces and that those spaces were so important to building community. And I realized that the farm is one of those spaces. And all I need to do is host a men's circle and a women's circle and a dance party and a planting party and a farm table dinner and this. And as long as I have variety, just like an ecosystem, everything in the ecosystem is going to start to thrive. And I just have to be patient. And it's all a question of patience for me. And so the, the biggest thing thing that led this to be the case for me and for our farm for Valhalla um, and for our community is I've constantly adopted the long-term mentality as an entrepreneur I, I, I it's like you know <laughs> people identify as an entrepreneur or this or that or whatever or sustainable this a social impact that whatever it is I identify as a long-term thinker and so everything I do every decision I make I try and think about like what can how can this really benefit us long term and, and what am I seeding today that I know I'm going to, I'm going to reap tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and so that mentality mixed with my, I, I, I created an online school called superior Academy where I taught entrepreneurship. I created brands where I had to build and teach teams. I had to, uh, every time I had to just jump into a new client or a new product or service or thing that I had to do promotion for or marketing or storytelling for is a better word that I like to use. I always had to adopt the mentality both of the, the entrepreneur who wanted me to do the work and this consumer who wanted to do it. So I've always had this like multitude um, of, of perspectives that led to what I think our farm naturally is emerging today, which is more events, more people, more education, um, different types of businesses, some level of... of um, of loyal, uh, like a, a what I'll call a loyalty or grandfathering type principle, where like if you farm that piece last year, it is up to you to decide what will happen this year. If you choose to abandon it, or no, I don't want to use the word abandon, but if you choose to move on and do something different or whatever, whether that's outside of the farm or not, or just move into a different thing, you get to choose the successor. Um, if you don't have a successor, then you bring it back to the community. The community then will decide what the next best thing, like kind of thing. So. And I'm playing some amount of judge and jury in that for sure, because mm -hmm. I'm the biggest investor at the farm. So obviously I have some amount of power on, in the farm, but my whole job is to decentralize that power. And the best way to do that is to make other people powerful. 
And the best way to do that is to give them not the carrot, but the means to grow the carrot. Yep. And the methods and the and the and the and everything related to growing the carrot, quite literally. And so that's it's just an it's an it's an incubator by design because it is designed to quite literally physically incubate plants, but also very much designed to incubate people and goodwill and community. Um, and so every decision is is maximizing for that KPI. And just like I was maximizing for the KPIs of clicks and this and purchases and blah, 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 all the stuff that I was doing in entrepreneurship and in marketing specifically, um, I'm doing the exact same thing, but with a very different KPI. So if you were to ask me, what do I, do I know the KPIs? It's like number of boots on the ground, number of minutes that those boots are on the ground, number of smiles, number of calories of food that we produce. Uh, I can I can list you a whole bunch of KPIs that have nothing to do with money that inherently I'm maximizing for and the community is maximizing for. It's not just me, uh, but it's naturally designed to maximize for. So inherently, it's a fractal that's growing that that inherently is growing exactly what I thought I wanted it to grow, as well as growing things I didn't realize it would come out of it. Uh, but that's part of it. Sounds to me like it's a... a- a better version of a franchise, you know, without the, yes, without yes. all the crappy stuff that generally goes along with franchises, you know, without the soulless side of it, you know, I, you yeah. know, that's, and I'm kind of surprised that there's, I mean, man, there's, you know, there's so much wealth now. I'm honestly surprised that there aren't more. Yes. Really well, wealthy people investing in ideas like this. And I'm not asking for people to ever like turn it into socialism or any of those kind of things. I like the, sure. I love the capitalistic nature of certain things, but like with a conscience, you know? And so I'm, I'm just, of course, I'm very surprised that with all of the, all of the coming changes, and I'm not talking about environmental changes. I'm talking about, I honestly, man, the people, the, the, the fact that we're running out of people to operate farms because people are going to die off and nobody's going to replace mm-hmm. them. I'm honestly really surprised that there aren't more. I just think that the world is missing that entrepreneur. Yeah. Like that, that, that entrepreneur has yet to emerge, but they're, they're there. The Elon Musk of farming exists. That was one of the, I was, I was on the tractor today and that uh, I was on the tractor thinking about chatting with you tonight. And that was one of my questions for you was, you know, who is, what is that person? Not who is it, but what is that person that is the Elon Musk of farming going to look like? And I know his, I know his brother attempted to dabble in that realm and didn't do a very good he job. Of he is. He's still, he doesn't, he's, well, I, I, I don't think he's motivated. I don't think he's hungry enough to do it, but that's what I'm saying. The best way to say it. I, I have met, by the way, I've met Kimball mm-hmm. Musk. Um, and I, I've had a conversation with him about vertical farming and a bunch of stuff. He owns multiple restaurants, lots of different things. Um, I, I just think that once you get to a certain age and wealth and, and you have kids and certain things, at some point, you you maybe you leave it for somebody else. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of where he's at. I, I just don't, I don't think, I think he has every good intention in the world. I think same with Elon. I don't think they're perfect executors. I, I mm-hmm. disagree with some of the things that they do sure. for sure. But I think net positive, 51, 49, let's say, mm-hmm. positive in my opinion. Um, that being said, it requires a, a very hungry entrepreneur with right, the right timing, the right technology, the right conditions, the right future, the right location, particularly in farming. Um, and that will emerge. You know, if I look at the, 
necessity is the mother of invention. And so if you look at like the, um, the, the Dutch, the Dutch are the second largest net exporter of farming products or, or goods, food, uh, calories uh, in the world. Um, they're one of the smallest countries in the world. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, they had to master certain things that are perfect skills for farming. They had to master water so that they wouldn't sink underground <laughs> and literally have no country. So the, by their through their mastery of water and certain things, they were like, oh, well, if we can master water this way, maybe we can master water to go here and make the perfect little drainage and ditch systems and this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, oh, maybe we can farm. And, 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 and then we don't have that great of weather, but it's kind of moderate to some degree. And, and so we're going to be really good at technology and greenhouses and certain things. Like, And they, they mastered the whole thing like in many ways, okay? So necessity was the mother of invention. We have not hit, and back to tipping points, we have not hit that tipping point just yet. Yep. We are we're probably 10 years away from it. It, it. it could be faster. A crisis could accelerate it. But without the crisis, the crisis will come in 10 years. Yeah. Without a doubt, in my opinion. Yep. So in that moment, I'm, I don't think I'm nearly as smart as Elon Musk, but I think people like me mm -hmm. and people like you who have a foot to some degree in the digital world and some degree in the analog world, who have a, a perspective of what it's like to be in rural America, but also a perspective of what it's like to be in the urban, who have um, understood elements of finance and politics and this and that, and who understand, like who have have real experience will become the next political leaders they will become the movement leaders and they will become the entrepreneurs of the future that, you know, I, the likelihood that I have a career in politics is high, right? I don't want to be a politician, but the likelihood that what I do for a living and what I'm passionate about will become the center of a giant problem and therefore thrust me into the world of potential mass politics right. um, is very high. And, and, and it's not because I'm going to choose it so much as I think it's going to happen naturally. And so if I'm looking at the ecosystem and I'm looking at the erosion of the ecosystem, like any good farmer does, studies the world around them and what's happening. And if they see the river starting to erode the bank over there, well, they realize that that one day will, you know, form the billabong and form the other things that like you get what I mean? Like we understand those things and it's just a matter of time when, right? Or a matter of fixing. Okay, I see that happening. What if I put like a you know concrete barrier and it'll, I'll keep the river going straight, kind of thing. Which is the better way? I'm not 100 percent sure, but it will require people with that level of systems level thinking to solve that problem. And Elon, I think, just kind of skipped it all and said the the best chance at survival is mul being a multiplanetary species. And he's, in my opinion, not wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but for all the things that he's doing for planet two, I think that he's going to need innovators in planet one to make that happen. And so, and planet one shouldn't be abandoned either. And, you know, you could criticize it all and all those different things. Why have more billionaires not stepped into it? Well, the ones that have are being roasted uh, like Bill Gates. Now, I... <laughs> I will just say that I don't agree with a lot of what Bill Gates stands for right. um, in every way. Um so, but so I, I think, I think that there's, I think it's important for us to think that the next Bill Gates is the person who does that. Yeah. 
I, I don't think we can wait for Bill Gates to do it or, or not. And forget Bill Gates. But I, think, I don't think we can wait for billionaires and banks and these things to get it. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be ready for the moment and for the kind of a tipping point. Again, I guess I do agree that there are some more tipping points than I expect. Um, we have to wait for that moment and we have to have the plan, some level of a plan ready for those moments. And we have to have working functional models and working functional teams um, and we have to have a lot of people's trust at that time yep. because these experiments, unfortunately, unlike a tech experiment, don't just, you can't tweak it five seconds later and have a completely different outcome. It, it is something that requires years, literally seasons to go through. So um, I, I think the seeds of that are sown today. Um, I don't know who they are. They're, they exist. They're out there. I think I'm one of those people mm-hmm. um, who will lead it in a particular region and a particular way. Um, and you know, I don't always want the job, but I think the job is going to come to me. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to do it. There, there is a, there is a framework of farming, um, that exists that I think that needs to be laid out. And I think that's that work that, mm-hmm. that those of us that are aware now need to start working on. And it's something that I've been, loosely seeding the idea of, I I just almost every time that I've been in a public speaking setting or on a podcast or in a video, I almost always am using the words framework of farming because I know that there's real value in that because it's something that it keeps getting ignored. All of us that do it know that it's there, um, but there's so many people that Mm. just ignore it because so much of it gets when you're talking about farming movements, so much of it gets caught up in flowery, vague language that doesn't ever give you that yes. pragmatic, turn the key, start the tractor, go kind of mentality. And so that's the part where I, sure. I think that, that that person, so we can have that person primed and ready in that moment, has to be able to just grab out you know, they'll probably have the Apple, well, they, the Apple goggles on, they right? They have to make, they have to make drastic. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. They have to, they, they're going to have to make drastic policy shifts. Oh, massive. I mean, it, it's like, like, yeah. like literally banning GMOs or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say GMOs, but like uh, banning Monsanto type cornfields and saying, mm-hmm. okay, if we're going to solve any amount of climactic problems here, we need to restore the top six inches of topsoil. Right. And then like people are like, what? Wait, wait, wait a second. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to have to go on to TV and be, like do like, like the president of the United States or it was going to have to go on on a public service announcement at his desk at the White House or whatever, mm-hmm. or at the, you know, what is it? One of the Rose Garden or whatever. <laughs> He's going to have to explain to people what that means mm-hmm. because those things need to happen. And, and where or how they happen. Well, when corporations are going to have the motivation to solve the problem, like I said, fairly soon, mm-hmm. um, they will solve the problem. And, and you know, it only takes one, it only takes a better mousetrap to make sure that all the other mousetraps are obsolete. Yep. And so I, I don't know how you feel about, let's say, electric cars, mm-hmm. but the but Tesla has proved that it has made the best electric car and it came up with a standard that will not be beaten. And for now. Yep. For now. Yep. And, and inherently, and Ford and GM just said, like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, all everyone's going to have to, like, cede to the person who, who discovered the better way of doing it. And 
somehow Elon was able to find the economics of that through thinking um, in, uh, uh, what's the word that he, uh, uh, I, I say it, literally say it every day. Um, first principles thinking, mm -hmm. right? He understood, like, I need to find a way that this is better. It has to be faster. It has to be cheaper. It has to be sexier than the alternative. Mm -hmm. And the second it's 5149 electric car, it's only a matter of time. Yep. Yep. It's only a matter of time. Now, can you, can you get it to like 6040 for a period of time and make it like really roll? And can policy and other things make that happen? 100%. If a bank turns around and says, Tesla, let's, let's start your own financing option. We're going to back you. Be massive. If the bank, um, if the government said EV tax credits go up an extra 2,500 a car, massive. If, um, if they start rewarding Tesla for onshoring uh, or nearshoring a bunch of the different things that they're doing, like they're doing in, um, uh, I think it's called First Pass uh, Texas or whatever, or one of the places in Texas, mm -hmm. um, at multiple places in Texas, in fact, but also in California and other places, that's all going to happen. Like, so he just got it. He got the perfect amount of first principles thinking, disruption, faster, cheaper, better, and politics yeah. and he kind of merged the perfect soup and and the perfect recipe to make it make tesla an undeniable world changer and leader and and honestly i still think that that is going to be felt for a long time more than even it already has today um and so the same is going to happen in farming it's just we're starting to see, like, I think, like, this whole thing with, with the, again, Ru Russia-Ukraine war is starting to now shift the global politics of, like, okay, wait a second, like, where are we going to get fertilizers? And, like, okay, maybe we should be using less corn to grow ethanol, and maybe we should be doing more of this thing. Or I was just watching something about agri-voltaics, right? Like, should we put solar panels in fields? And um, where does that make sense? Like, where does the intersect of that work and not work? And should we do it or should we not? Is there detriments? Is there downsides or upsides? But I think it's going to require like mass scale experimentation. Yep. Um, and I think that's kind of what what I've seen out of Tesla. And an example, I, I'm bringing it to Elon Musk because it's just yeah. a cultural re relevant thing that everyone understands yeah. or many people understand is he has constantly done that. The boring tunnel, the battery systems, the power wall, the tiled roofs, the, the all these things are they're experiments and he's taking a small portion of his wealth and the com the, 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 the cash flow of his companies and trying those experiments and then refining and refining and refining. And so I do the same. I, I have the same thought process. Like every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to put 0.5% of my wealth in strawberries. Why? People love strawberries. Everyone loves strawberries. So every year, if I add 0.5% of the money that come into my, my pocket and buy more strawberry plants to propagate more strawberries, that is a winning formula that I don't think people are going to not like strawberries tomorrow Yep. or in 10 years. Yep. So it's just like it, but it's such a weird way. Like nobody thinks that way. Like it's so, and I, and I recognize that me thinking that was very weird and unique and, and un, unlike anybody. Um, but maybe farmers. Do. Isn't that strange though? I mean, the, I think, it it, is I think of it's, course it's so strange. strange that that, that kind of thinking is so out of the box, you know, like it's, it's, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know, cause it, for me, it makes, well, as you say, I think it's back to we're we're in a, a short term mindset, right? We, we've, we've trained everyone to be ready for the test that happens next week or next month or at the end of the year. We, we've never trained 
anyone in our society, none of our, nothing about our society, nothing about how the internet works mm. or how schooling works or how our day-to-day lives and jobs work teaches us to think long-term. Right. But at the highest ends of business, the highest ends of education, at the highest ends of city planning, at the highest ends of all of these things, it's all about that. So all of a sudden there's this like, if you want to talk about classes, like, you know, class separation, there's definitely financial class separation and social dynamics and all of these different things. But there's also this like the biggest thing that we that that nobody's kind of talking about, in my opinion, is long term thinking. The wealthiest families, the wealthiest people think long term and then they invest a small amount of money in all the different things that of diversity of future whatever. And then when they see a winner, they just pick they just put they back the winner like they just bring their wealth and say, you know what? We lost. No problem. Back to winner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's not that complicated, but it's, it's difficult to do when you have nothing. We have no, you know, to start at zero is humbling. Um, and you know, in life, I didn't necessarily start at zero, but you know, I grew up in middle class and in Canada, white guy, you know, Italian descent. Sure. Won a lottery of some kind, get it. Okay. And if you look at the farm that I started, it was nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was nothing. Yep. And so uh, for the type of farm that we're trying to create today, nothing. We started at zero. Okay. And I had no dollars and no cents to do it. The only good thing I had was I was able to afford five acres out of the 88 acres. And I, yes, I had the fortune of having my future potential scale also be purchased by my father. It wasn't easy sell and I had to, and I had to pay him for it and with interest and a bunch of other stuff. Okay. There's no handouts for me in this. Yeah. Okay. But the, um, you know, like through the, I tell the story all the time through the financial crisis, my dad had given us a loan for the, the skate park I was talking about earlier. The loan interest was 11% to me. Oh, wow. So it's like, I, 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 I hate that people like kind of debase the story because they're like, well, not everyone has the opportunity, man. You can farm anywhere. You can find contracts to get people's front lawns. Like you could start, you could farm anywhere. You could gorilla farm. You can find a way. There's tons of farmers that give you a piece of land. Trust me, it's available. You just, I just think that that's they, they use that as an excuse for the fact that they don't want to work. Right. And they want to do the work. Right. So take that out of the equation. People have access to land. There's a land available. Okay. Um, and you can and if you don't think so, you can rent it for dirt cheap. You can buy you can rent a massive farm. The farm next door, 179 acres, rented for twelve thousand five hundred dollars a year. Yep. Okay. Period. So there's just no excuse if you really want to do it. That being said, I have sympathy and empathy for that process because there's not enough places where they can learn it. There, are, there is a lack of education and there is a lack of education in that long-term thinking mentality. So I do believe that part of the farming revolution requires an educational revolution and it requires the educational revolution to go back out of the textbooks and off the computer and into the field and into mentorship. Because that's the only way. I, I can only learn that the garlic is lacking nitrogen from the fact that I see the garlic yellowing. And then, yes, I can go Google it or I can use AI to take a picture and be like, what's happening here? And it's like, oh, it's probably lacking nitrogen. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, sure, I can use the technology to support that. But I still have to see it in the field. Yep. And and that's where we're, we're lacking. We, we many, much of our education is is so theoretical and not analog enough or not like, experiential and and um 
and it just requires that. So, um, I do, I do believe that that's coming though, and it's just naturally occurring. Yeah, there's work to be done, for sure. Oh yeah, well, and we're seeing like the signs of it are there, right? Like nobody can find a good plumber or an electrician. Right, like, electricians are getting to the highest rates ever. Nobody can find a blue collar worker. Nobody wants to do it. So that is only going to rise the value of those people and farmers alike. All the blue collar workers, all the all the people who make our world physically run in the analog are going to gain more and more power in the next little while. And that will only attract more people to go into it. Um, as much as there was a depression of, of men in colleges, that's okay. We need less men going to colleges, in my opinion. It, it, it's sad mm -hmm. in some ways, but it's not because they were going there to enslave themselves to go get a job that nobody cares about that AI is going to replace anyway. So yep. let's get back to it. Like, no, let's go back to building real things with real um, people. And, and when you build real things, because some of the things that you build are so big, you need to interact with people. You need to collaborate. You all need to look at the same plans and build the same thing. Because when the post is over here and the, and the thing is over there, there is no debate. And unfortunately, in the world of digital and, and like everything, now everything is up for debate somehow. We've like, we've lost, we've, we've gone so scientific that we've lost so, like sense of science. Mm -hmm. And what I love about entrepreneurship, what I love about farming is like, you can have an opinion but you either grew the carrot or you didn't. Yep. <laughs> like you either like it either worked or it didn't. It either grew big or it didn't. It either survived or it died. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like I, I love the I love the the like matter of factness of it. And so the same thing applies in buildings. It's like you either built the building and it stands or it doesn't. Now you might be able to get it standing for a while and not build it poorly and do a bunch of other stuff which does exist. But there's like there's some like real yeah, there's just like a, there's a reality that plays out that's super important. Oh, that's why that's what's kept me in it for, you know, over tw yeah. over two decades is because it, everything it's the one thing that I I was never hunting for the truth anymore. I was just I was just yeah. accepting the reality of daily life, you know, and that's really what made it wholesome for me. I'm curious about your your kids though. Do do your do you think your kids get it? Like, are your kids interested in farming? Or are they? Do they understand maybe like why you chose the life that you chose? Or oh yeah, they totally. Oh they no, they they totally get it. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting because we live, we moved into town now, so they can go to high school mm -hmm. in town. Um, mm -hmm. But they mm -hmm. were out at the farm all the time, and they that's what they grew up with. And so we talk about it openly all the time about the balance between living the town life, and they see the advantages of town life, but they also know that sure. the there's that. Um, that it's something because we own that place now outright. Mm -hmm. They, mm -hmm. they've even said to me like, Oh, this is, this is like our safe spot. You know, like if anything mm -hmm. got weird, you know, not that we talk about it in an apocalyptic way, but if anything ever happened, you always know no, you, sure. you can go there, you know, like that's the safe spot. Yeah. Um, and, and there's just, yeah, they're, they get it. Yeah, for sure. And their friends, their friends have talked about it some too because their friends like going out there because there's something, there's something simple and pure. I think that that's what my oldest boy said to me one day. Like the last time we went out with one of his friends, he's like, "Yeah, so and so just kept saying how simple and pure it was out here, and like they, they, there was nothing distracting them. They were just like taking like his friend that came out with him actually noticed how hard the wind was blowing, you know, 
you would never notice otherwise and you never care necessarily right and he was just have yeah. you, he's like did you notice how hard the wind's blowing is like what he said to my boy and he's just like yeah it does this I love every that. day out here you know and he's like really interesting you know like like not yeah good or bad but just observing yeah yeah just the fact that he even the, the 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 presence that it requires mm -hmm. to be out there yeah and and the and the just the reality mm -hmm. of like not being in a sheltered cocoon yeah yeah i i'm a really strong believer that i don't i wrote some piece sometime long time ago about how there is no rural anymore because of the internet because it kind of like mm -hmm. takes away that aspect and that that was the whole point of the whole piece was that that was okay and that and, and yep. then i never got the complete picture until about six months ago and i was online and i was thinking about the how the internet has become this giant centralized monster, you know, and then now it's moving, moved more towards decentralized. Like you're starting to see the fragmentation of, of it happening and, mm -hmm. and the rise of niche culture, you know, it's like, you know, you could say, Oh, have you, you can ask somebody on the street, Hey, do you know who Mr. Beast is? And still, Oh, most people, there's millions of people who know nothing about this person. Yet. And yet he's the most popular YouTuber on the planet with hundreds of millions, billions of views. In fact. Exactly. And, and so that it's that kind of, it's that kind of thing where I was like, Oh, actually there is no rural in real life anymore. The rural is going to start happening online. And I, and I was like, what a trip. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and, what I would say, you know, we were talking about tipping points mm -hmm. and technology components that change the reality. Mm -hmm. The reality is that nobody could have, pre-pandemic and pre-satellite um, internet with actual high speed, aka, thank you, Elon Musk, um, and Starlink. Starlink is going to change the face of rural real estate because it will allow people to actually be in the rural parts of the world while having all the benefits of the internet, therefore all the benefits of cultural um, uh, cities. They, meaning they can go into the digital version of the city and have everything that goes with that. So I don't need to live near the city. And now all of a sudden I'm going to have way more free time if my rent is cheaper. So why not be in rural or whatever? I know I can do my job remotely because AI and this and that and all the other things. And, you know, uh, it's cheaper than the the you know, it makes more economic sense even for the employer for them to not have a big expensive office and a bunch of overhead in that way. And if they can replace us by saying, hey, you don't even come to the office, so you don't even have to pack up your stuff. You're already at home. We'll cut your job and here's AI. Like, it's like, it's perfect. Like, naturally, the economics of it and the kind of the libertarian kind of, um, you know, Adam Smith invisible hand is naturally leading us to, yes, the uh, financially best thing that, you know, capitalism kind of um uh, precludes but the but also the shifting and changing of that and the, to me starlink like starlink is the number one thing that's going to make farms rise in value and a lot more people want to live in homesteads it's one of the one of the little tipping point type things that is making that happen so um and these bigger events like the pandemic are the perfect accelerator of those technologies and of those things so it's it's great like we're seeing naturally the world is is emerging towards more and more people kind of coming and being exposed to this lifestyle in my opinion oh it's dude it's nuts right now just to see just to see how much that's changed in the last two years just how many remote mm -hmm. 
living people um, pass through our valley now. Like just the other day, there was uh, a caravan of six full-size school buses, and every single one of the school buses had a Starlink uh, dish on top. And I was just like... I want to stop and go interview all those people. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't going to a job that I had to do, I was going to do it. I was going to go interview them and just be like, I want to hear your story. Like, tell me, yeah. tell me how it, it's so interesting, you know? And, and the fact that years ago I wanted to, I wanted to be able to stream my friends that are DJs. I wanted to be able to stream from my farm because I was always like, you know, it's like boiler room style. I was like, sure. Oh, this would be amazing, but you can't do it with, you know, 1.2 megabits no. per second. But now that we no. have Starlink at the farm. Maybe Aaron. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's just like, oh, this is. <laughs> and I'm like right next to multi-million dollar homes. But to to even to bring the cable, the physical like fiber optic cable to our farm, because they're like, oh, you don't have a home there yet. So you're a commercial property and you're net and net. You're going to have to pay to get the extension, even though it's only a couple hundred feet. I'm like, okay, how much? They're like, oh, like the uh, Thirty-seven hundred bucks plus you have to sign a two-year contract for an absurd price. And I was like, "No." I was like, "I'm buying a Starlink satellite dish, and I'm going to be off-grid exactly like I <laughs> want it to be anyway." And I'll, you know, and like forget that. And then, and and now it's just getting faster and better. And be- like back to faster, better, cheaper. He, he first principles thinking is making it better for everyone, and it's naturally going to work. Like it. It, there, there, there are there are undeniable inevitabilities, so to speak, in the world. And Elon has found a way to make multiple undeniable inevitabilities come to pass. Um, and once he made one of them work, and he had enough money to do one, he was lucky enough and bold enough to take all his money and to go after two or three more. And now he's just on many of them. Um, some are better than others, but the. But that, so these little, these technology things will make these things happen. So we, we, you know, we can't fight those. I think we, we have to embrace the ecosystem as it is rather than as we want it to be. Um, and if I've learned anything in farming, it's like, Hey, it rained or we had a frost or we had this or had that. Like, unfortunately it caused havoc in this way. What can we do to adjust? And not only what can we do to adjust, what can we do or what can we put in place that will make sure that if it ever happened again, we'd be okay too. You know what I mean? And and that's like every year the farm is that. Every year it's like you think, oh, one day I'll be done with the infrastructure and I'll be able to kick back and do the No, never. <laughs> it's always going to be the next thing. And the second I finish that last piece of infrastructure, the first one I did, he's replacing. And so it started all over again and updating and whatever. So it's an, it's an endless game. Entrepreneurship has no end. It is a love of the process. And and it's not for everyone. Farming is not for everyone. Um, but I do think that there's a lot more that we can gain out of community. And I think com- farm farm and community and farm and education have to kind of marry again. Just like we had kind of church and education marry and church and community marry, I think farm has to kind of become the new church. And without the dogma and the thing, but the, but the new dogma is organic or all natural or this or that or regenerative. And, you know, and we've seen the buzzwords go through. I mean, permaculture was one of them. And so, you know, there's lots of buzzwords and I, I'll gladly use them and I'll gladly create them and give them power too. And I'm just the kind of guy who's going to see the next one and be ahead of it. 
you know what I mean? Cause that's, that's the, that's my skill as a farmer is I farm attention. And uh, I, that of all the things I've ever been successful at, that's the one thing I've been successful at. And now I've used that attention to bring light to what I'll consider to be bridge topics that merge people to actually realize they're more similar than they, they thought they were there, that they have more in common than they thought they would do that they're, that they, that they, that life could be simpler all the while being more complex. Cause to me, farming is the most complex thing I've ever done. And, and so there's, yeah, there's a lot of beautiful things that are playing out. What you're doing right now is you're, you're defining a place, a safe place mm-hmm. for people to come and experience. And it doesn't even matter what dogmas they're carrying with them. That's the beautiful thing about where, what exactly. we're doing right now is just creating that, that place. Well, and the farm actually helps a race. And I don't want to say race because that's not the right word. It helps refine those dogmas. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know how many vegans are like, wait a second, why did you guys get pigs? Are you going to kill them? And I'm like, well, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. At some point, they're going to die. Whether whether we kill them or not, they're going to die. But, and I explained to them, I'm like, we got the pigs because we actually need to fertilize the back portion of our farm over there that has never been used. And, um, and it's full of brush and a bunch of stuff. And I can f- spend the next decade trying to fight back those weeds. Or I can get pigs mm-hmm. and chickens and fertilize the whole thing and make it all part of the perfect ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And in fact, their fertilizer is going to save an enormous amount of money. It's going to stop an enormous amount of climate change that would have occurred because I would have to ship in all the other mm-hmm. fertilizers and all the other things, or I would have to just pesticide spray it to ever gain control of this thing. So in the, if you just change the perspective from this one little thing that I'm a vegan and I thought getting pigs is a bad thing to like change the perspective and now say, here's the whole picture. Do you still think it's a bad thing? If you do, I respect that. If you don't, well, maybe I taught you something. You know what I mean? Cause I learned that thing too. And, and I was never a vegan, but the, but, but I get it mm-hmm. and I empathize with it. Um, and I said, look, I, I, it's less for the food. It's more for the fact that I, they're going to create the rest of the food that you also as a vegan eat. Yeah. And so it's just part of the natural cycles and ecosystem. So the, the um, perspective shift that our farm, um, and people like us who are farmers, but also are willing to you know, use the microphone and the camera and the technology and, and understand the kind of the balance between the two. And also just like the joy of the balance between the two. I like being in front of my computer sometimes. And I like being in the farm sometimes. So um, it just gives me perspective on all of it and it changed my life and I hope it changes other people's too. So uh, Valhalla uh, podcast, you're getting ready to start that again. Is that right? The Hollow Movement podcast comes out. Um, well, I don't know when this episode comes out, but it's basically coming out next Wednesday. So June 21st. So on solstice. Yeah, yeah. So so the podcast coming out, um, it's called the Valhalla Moving Podcast. It was formerly, uh, I started a podcast in 2013 as a video podcast on Skype, which is crazy. Um, and uh, this is their ninth season, but this season is really focused on farms a lot more. Cool. It's really, it, it's talking, it, there's a lot more updates of about the farm. Um, there's also going to be podcasts filmed or recorded at the farm with multiple angles and different stuff. I'm bringing basically the power of Starlink into the field and literally saying, okay, like the Wi-Fi router is here and let's do, let's have multiple angles on the, on that. Like I'm, so I'm literally going to do podcasts at the farm, um, and roving podcasts. So, um, so I'm, yeah, I've got lots of cool ideas. I interview multiple farmers. I also interview architects who are helping me design the farm and do maps of the farm. 
Um, uh, also people who have worked in marketing with me who are like part of the brand of the farm, the behind the scenes of that. So it's, it's really shifted in that direction, um, quite a bit. So I'm, I'm excited about it because it's, it's definitely my passion at this point. Don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to talk about entrepreneurship. I love talking about entrepreneurship, but I want to talk about it through the context of farming and the context of ecosystems and the context, context of long-term thinking. So it's, um, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's like, I love this medium. I love this format. I think we, I think we did that though. I think you did a really good job of focusing on the farm. Cause I was, that's, I was like uh, this, I don't know how many other podcasts you've been on where you've been able to focus on the farm side of, I mean, it, I, I know it comes up sometimes, but it, it has to, has to feel refreshing to be just able to unleash your farmer. Totally. Well, you get, you get the, and I, and I would imagine that the audience who listening to this gets the nuances of some of the things that we're saying, mm-hmm. um, at a deeper level. And so I love, I love that. I love talking to farmers. And so, but I also know that I have an audience of not farmers yeah. for the most part. Yeah. And so what's super cool about that is I get to expose them to the concept and I have to explain all of it. Like I have to like, like, I can't just say sequester carbon in the top six inches of topsoil. I have to be like, okay, so carbon, mm-hmm. <laughs> although yes, cows do create methane and certain things. There's other ways that they also restore plant yeah. and, carbon could get stored in soil and da, 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 like and like so people like don't they don't get that like mm-hmm. and I, by the way it's not like I, i'm holier than that and i get everything i don't i but i listen I, I i spend a lot of time researching and a lot of time testing and learning and we have like actual scientists that come to the farm and like okay here's the soil biology and they're looking under a microscope and telling us stuff like this is not just like my opinion this is like people literally we're watching the soil regenerate quite literally i saw it go from dead nothing monsanto spray to alive thriving you know almost out of control thriving mm-hmm. um but so much so that that is control that is like the, it's it's the divine um you know uh, essence of life coming coming into reality so i love the fact that that you're doing a podcast like this i love the fact that you have an audience that's specifically interested um in the elements of the farmer through the lens of farming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I get to talk about the, some of the nuances of Valhalla, uh, this is an awesome opportunity to do such too. And I also love the format that was longer. You know, a lot of people who have these podcasts are like, they're just trying to get the clip and they're like, oh, he's got a lot of followers. Okay, I'm the guy on, ask him a couple of basic questions. And, you know, sometimes I, I'm as a storyteller, love to try ele- new elements of storylines. But I don't normally get to the depths of like some of the things I was talking about here today, you know, like the, the Starlink thing. Those are conversations I have with Jason Silva's, you know, smoking a joint on the beach kind of thing. <laughs> like not like, you know what I mean? Like only there's only a few people that that can kind of follow that pattern or that I have spent enough time with to to get to that to, to that depth. So, um, yeah, love it. Appreciate you having me on. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of listening to this myself again and kind of. I'm looking forward to also like taking clips out of this and and sharing it far and wide. So yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you.